going along and figuring out what does it mean to gather as the church in person are these. What's safest for our people? What most honors and respects the governing authorities God's put in place? What best protects our reputation as the church in our local communities, the missional component? And then finally, what best protects against division within the church? Or kind of the positive flip side of that would be what best promotes unity amongst the body of Christ, okay? Now, here's the thing. Any one of those questions by themselves may not be sufficient to answer the question of should we gather and how should we gather. But when you overlay all four of those questions, it's been a really helpful and robust uh, set of criteria for us to evaluate that question. So those questions, as we've asked them again, had le- have led us to believe that for now, we will continue to gather, um, but that we will remain at two services. Now, just to explain that a little bit, because... I know that some of you were wondering, were we going to move to one service? Um, Christmas Eve, first of all, was awesome. I I mean, I really enjoyed being all together and the buzz of life that that was to be back together as a church when we had the numbers that we did before COVID all together in this room. So it was wonderful in that respect. There was an energy that was special that night, and part of that, too, was just what we were celebrating. Um, But one of the necessary trade-offs to that was that we were sitting households closer together, So right now, it is guaranteed, if you're sitting in those designated seats, that you are at least six feet, if not quite a bit more than that, away from other households. On Christmas Eve, even though people were masked the whole time, the trade-off to that was that, in a lot of cases, households were less than six feet. And that still was above reproach when it came to honoring what the First Baptist Church and the government has asked of us. But despite having been masked the whole time, there was just something that felt counterintuitive about starting to meet at one service right now with everything that's going on as we consider that question of should we start doing that in the new year, Um, especially in light of, as I'd mentioned, the number of of, uh, cases now that are um, are around us here, even in Saratoga County and the hospital situation, as well as that new virus strain that we just don't know a heck of a lot about. The one thing they do know is it's more contagious than the old one. It just seemed, if not from an optical standpoint, but even just from a very real standpoint of safety, like not the best time to just reintroduce going back to one service, okay? That was the thinking behind that. What two services does, on the other hand, is it maintains the six feet minimum of distance. It also helps us divide up the number. Our first, this is not unusual for our second service, it's about average. Our first service was actually pretty huge today. I'm not even sure if we could have safely fit everybody in one service if we'd wanted to. So two services um, guarantees uh, that we've split up our people. And so one of the things that we actually did, um, one of the families in the church has CO2 monitors. And so before, for a few weeks before uh, Christmas, up until Christmas Eve, we actually measured the quality of the air in this room, just as another way of, well, some of you guys know about this. There's a school locally that's doing this as well. Um, uh, and it just measures the amount of carbon dioxide that's in the air because I don't understand the science. but. Basically, the gist of it is, proportionally to the amount of carbon dioxide in the air is the transmissibility of viruses in general, not just the coronavirus. And so it's just one way of measuring. And it was quite a bit more for Christmas Eve. Now, it was still within meeting or exceeding OSHA's standards for air quality for indoors. But it was just another one of those factors where we decided, you know what? I think right now is probably not the time for us to try to move back to one service for all of those reasons. Um, the other question that I'm going to preemptively ask and then try to answer for you is under what circumstances would we decide to stop gathering in person again? And there are really only two scenarios that we can see. First one would be 
uh, if there's another shutdown from the government. And just to kind of fill that out a little bit, one of the questions we've had to ask ourselves all along as pastors um, is, uh, is it a reasonable basis that the government is asking the local church to shut down? In other words, number one, are they discriminating against God's people, which wasn't the case the first time around? Um, and number two, <clears throat> are there enough factors when it comes to the situation society is in that warrants that kind of a decision? Um, and we felt that it wasn't at all unreasonable because the first time around there were so many unknowns, we didn't know how widespread it was, and it wasn't, the church wasn't being singled out. Okay? Now we know a lot more, right? Now we know a lot about what this virus is, how contagious it is, how severe it is, it's less severe than they thought, et cetera, et cetera. The circumstances that would this time be reasonable if that was asked of us and secular and sacred mass gatherings alike would just be the fact that there's been a, a swell in the number of cases. There actually are cases locally, even if there weren't back in March, April, May, um, and the unknowns surrounding this new strain of the virus, okay? And so we believe that if that was asked of us, the right thing to do would be to not gather in person because um, it's what most honors the governing authorities God has put in place and secondly, because it best protects the reputation of, um, of our church and the community. We consider ourselves as missionaries to our neighbors and don't want to be the, perceived as the only ones who think that they are above the law when it's being required and asked of everyone else. So I hope that that makes sense. That's to give you just a little bit more information as to the thought processes that Pastor Matt and myself have used to make that decision the first time around and what would go into it again if that was asked of us. The other situation which could result in us not gathering, even if for a temporary period of time, would be if a number of people in our church ended up contracting the virus and we don't have the confidence that um, we can bring people back together the following week because there's been enough vigilance in sticking to the protocols that we do have. In other words, are we taking it seriously enough so that we could reconvene the following week and really in good conscience feel like, yeah, there's no reason why this should have been passed along to anyone, anyone else. It should have been pretty isolated because we're following the protocols that are in place. Um, so what I wanted to do is just briefly remind you of those. Um, for those who are unfamiliar or just by way of reminder for those of you who have been at Terra for the last nine to ten months. One of those things is just wearing your mask at all times unless you're seated six feet or more from other households. Okay, That's kind of the big one that's been asked across the board. Um, sitting as separate households. Um, I know that there are exceptions to the rule there where you have extended family members who live in a different house, but you see them every day of the week, or maybe there's a coworker that you see every single day and you're interacting with. But by and large, even if you are comfortable outside of this setting, um, uh, being in the same household with someone else, please sit as separate households. But at this point, we have plenty of room to be able to do that. And it's just one way to help ensure um, the confidence that we can meet again the following week if and when people get the virus, right? That's a reality now that's uh, not unlikely. Whereas March, April, May of last year, we just weren't seeing it happen. Now we all know people who've gotten it, maybe some, some of us, right? So um, the, the next one is no physical contact, no shaking hands, no hugging, none of that social stuff that actually should be really normative. Like I don't ever want that to become normal, that we don't do that. Like, God forbid that the cold and antisocial Northeasterners become even more so, right? When my wife Leah came from California here, that was the first thing that she noticed. Like she'd walk past somebody on the street who would not even acknowledge her existence as another human being that walked within two feet of her. It was so weird for her. Some of us are thinking, well, that's normal, right? 
No, it's not, or at least it shouldn't be. And so I would hate for that to happen, for us to become even more antisocial. But the bottom line is this. If we value the opportunity to continue gathering in person for worship, then we have to be vigilant about these things. Um, if for no other sake, because of the safety of our people, but we, Pastor Matt and I, need to be able to have the confidence that if that does happen and people in our own midst get the virus and we're potentially con contagious on a Sunday, that we can say confidently that there's a low percentage chance that if we were to regather, that we would be spreading it to anyone else, okay? Does that make sense? That's what we're aiming for here. And I'd, I also want to say, too, you guys have done, by and large, a good job of this. This is more by way of reminder, okay? It's not meant to be a slap on the wrist or anything like that. We just feel like we have to keep it out in front of each other, especially now that it seems to be much more rampant in our area. Um, if we were to stop gathering in person, we would go back to doing something like what you guys uh, saw before, where we would have services online, and we're obviously doing services online now too, but for everyone, since we wouldn't be gathering here in person, and we would do that either until a shutdown is lifted or until we deemed it to be safe to reconvene gatherings. I hope that, I hope all that makes sense, and if it doesn't, you can feel free to reach out to us and ask questions, but please know that Matt and I labor over these things. We wrestle with these things more than we would like to. There's just a weight of leadership you feel that once you're in this position caring for an entire flock like this. And um, know that we listen to you. Like we actually intentionally reached out to our key leaders and tribe leaders over these past couple weeks so that we could get a sense for the cross-section and pulse of what is, our, what is our church feeling about this right now? How are you doing with all this? Just to get a sense for where people are at, the one or two service option. We do listen to our people. We believe that's a part of the way in which we discern the Lord's will for us as we move forward. And so we appreciate you guys, and we do value your input in that way. Okay, housekeeping items over. Thank you for bearing with that, and thank you for adhering to those protocols, okay? We want to continue to be able to gather together in person. And, and so what I want to do right now is shift towards something that's going to feel a little bit more sobering, as I think it probably already has for you this past week, and share some of my reflections and thoughts in the aftermath of what took place on our nation's capital earlier this week. And I'll probably stay a little bit closer to my notes for this just because I, I want to get these words right. They're important. Um, a couple caveats up front. You need to hear these so that you're clear on where I'm coming from, okay? First of all, while the, event, the events of this past week um, are what has prompted me to say something this morning, and while they are particularly associated with one political party, Please understand, there was heartbreaking and has been heartbreaking vitriol and violence to shameful degrees by constituents that represent both sides of the political party over this past year. So please keep that in mind as I share these thoughts, okay? These reflections are in light of this past year and not just what happened this past week. Also, please know that I am addressing you through the filter of your pastor who cares about you guys and loves you guys and I also need you to hear that there's rarely, if ever, a time that I will share something pastoral with our congregation from the pulpit without having first looked in the mirror and evaluating these things in my own life and seeing how these things apply to me, which pretty much everything in here has this week. And finally, um, I feel a little bit like the author of Hebrews, and I need you to hear this too, who in chapter 6, after sharing some hard words with the congregations that he was writing to, said, though I speak to you 
in this way, yet in your case, beloved, I feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. All right, in other words, not everything here is necessarily true of us, but it could be unless we learn from the error of others. Okay? If the scenes of this past week were or still are disturbing to you, that is rightly so. And that would also be true of several other scenes of protests that turned violent over this past year. Um, to feel unsettled and concerned about these things isn't wrong. It's, it's human in a good way. If our hearts are callous toward these things, that's not a good thing. There should be some level, level of feeling unrest and unsettled and concerned. But it's also the emotions of fear and concern when they are coupled with a lack of humility and empathy and then stripped of the guardrails of God's holiness that can lead to this kind of violence and division. And so we need to be totally clear on where this comes from so that we don't walk down the same road. Um, throughout this whole election cycle, and it's not unique to this one, pretty much any election cycle, it just felt heightened at this time. It's been hard to know, so hard to know, with any kind of complete objectivity, what's true and what's not. And even when we think it's fairly clear, it's hard to know with what we're hearing to what degree that it is true, is it not? So as simple as this may sound, here's one of the things that I, I want to bring before you this morning. Only Jesus is pure. And only God's word is pure truth. Start there. Always. Because everything else from there becomes these concentric circles of sin-tainted haziness when it comes to discerning what the truth is and whose intentions are pure. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't have to take a stand on things and make decisions about things. We do. But it means that the further that we get away from the purity of Jesus and his word, as it applies to you and I first and then to those immediately around us, the more as Christians that we should pause before determining something is a hill that we should die on. Especially when that hill involves elevating broken systems of government and broken rulers as being an ultimate source of hope or infallibility to bring about God's purposes. Now, there's no political bias that's meant to be implied in that statement, honestly. Rather, all I'm saying is that we should see a distinction in the allegiance that we show toward what Jesus has plainly revealed to us and any system of government or ruler in this world. And that distinction's been hard to see at times from the church over this past year. And here's how that tends to reveal itself when those priorities get flipped. It's concerning to me when amongst Christian brothers and sisters, I see more zeal and passion towards politics and their implications than I do towards the sin that's in themselves and the effects of that sin on those around them. And it's also concerning to me when amongst Christians, I see more zeal and passion toward politics than I do to the suffering of those that God has placed immediately around them. In other words, if you found yourself more roused and concerned or despairing or fearful of the political environment in our country right now than you ever have about the unholiness that still remains in your own heart or the expressed pains and struggles of your children or the expressed disappointments of your spouse or the expressed struggles and burdens of the community that God has sovereignly put you in the midst of, then something is off. 
I say all of this because, quite frankly, it is far easier to be more passionate and outraged by something that is far off and distant out there than the thing that is broken that is right in front of us. And something is very backwards about that. Unless as God's citizens, kingdom citizens, saved by grace alone, never forget that piece, guys. Unless as God's kingdom citizens, we can show the humility that evidences the priorities of personal holiness and the welfare of those God has in his sovereignty put right around you. It will only continue to lead towards the divisiveness that we see in our country right now, more concerningly in the church at large. Now, some of you may believe that you've come pretty close to kind of having or finding the corner on, on figuring this all out. Who's to blame? Who's right? Who can be trusted? Who can lead this country forward in a way that will lead to human flourishing on God's terms? I don't. All right, maybe that's not right, but I don't have that all figured out. And honestly, in God's economy for working out his plans, it often appears backwards to us, even as it did to the disciples when they saw the Savior of the world go to and die on a cross. So I continue to seek God for wisdom on this because only he knows and only he is perfectly pure and holy. What I want to do with the next couple of minutes is share with you from God's word one particular verse that came to my mind over the past 24 to 48 hours, Friday or Saturday morning. And it's a familiar verse. It's one I've long loved and many of you will be familiar with. But what I wasn't so familiar with was the context that it sits within and how relevant that is to our lives today. In the passage, the verse comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, and it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless or whole toward him. As I'd mentioned, what I was struck by this time wasn't just the verse itself, but it was the context that that verse sits within. Because here's that context. The context is that there was this king in Israel's history. His name was Asa. He was actually, by and large, a good king. When you read his story, starting in chapter 14 through 16, he was commended many times by God's word as being a good king, really after God's heart. And he was a king who trusted in the Lord. And that was revealed in a particular circumstance when, when the, the nation that he was leading and his people of Judah were up against insurmountable odds, an improbable, if not impossible, situ situation to overcome, where they had a, a huge army and a foe that was coming up against them. And Asa didn't know what else to do, but he did show the faith of turning to the Lord and asking him for help. And in an improbable fashion, the Lord delivered him and his people and preserved them. But what you see towards the end of his reign and his life uh, in chapter 16, this very verse, in fact, is in that context, is Asa had a change in heart and focus in that he began to turn to other earthly, earthly kings for help and for success. Mind you, for success in things that God would have wanted him to be successful in, which was the preservation of his people. But he was rebuked for it. 
because he was looking to man instead of God for help, for hope, and for deliverance. And so it's actually the prophet Hanani who's addressing him, who spoke the words that I already read, those encouraging words of verse 9. The end of verse 9 says this. I don't know if I'd ever noticed it before. Hanani says, But you, Asa, have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. See, the consequence for his focus on human power for his hope was the promise from the Lord of needless division and violence that would lie ahead. So the question that this verse very naturally brings up before us this morning to consider is can we say that our hearts are blameless and whole toward the Lord? That we are more driven by our desire to honor God than we are by things like fear or insecurity or or false identities or pride. Because if so, if our hearts are whole and blameless before the Lord, then by all means, be appropriately concerned and passionate and proactive about the brokenness of our country right now and seek to respond in a way that reflects the righteousness of God. But if not, be careful. For you may even be right about something but end up doing violence to the very thing that you are seeking to preserve. The circumstances that have unfolded over 2020 and even the beginning of this year, the pandemic, the racial tension, the riots, the violence, the political polarization, all of that is done. And there's no going back at this point. So we have to ask ourselves the question of what is it that we do about this? Is there any way to redeem 2020 and everything that's happened over this past year and even these last few days? And I think that there is a way that we can steward the difficulties, the pain, the frustrations that you have experienced over this last year. As I think what it has done is it's forced a lot of us to look in the mirror and consider what is it that I really believe? Why is it that I feel so passionately and strongly about this? And what is truly important to me? And what we have seen if we've done this exercise is nothing that wasn't already there, just hidden by our relative comfort and security, right? It was the crucible of the moment of our last year that actually surfaced these things, but now it's been surfaced by everything that's gone on. And so things like fear and insecurity and worries and anger and anxiety and hatred and bitterness and division have surfaced in our culture, our country, and even the church. So hear this. Steward that well. Because the opportunity is now ripe to experience Jesus intervening in those places in your life full of grace and truth. But only if we look to him. And not to man as our source of hope and the answer to our problems. When we face ourselves honestly in the mirror and acknowledge what's been shown by the cracks that this last year of our lives and what's gone in our country have exposed, that's going to give our hearts a chance to be cleansed by the Lord and made blameless and whole. And then, then that promise of 2 Chronicles 16, 9 can be ours. Then that strong support promised by the Lord will be yours. And you'll be able to work toward and see this world changed for the better. I imagine that many things are going on in your heart and mind from this past week, even from this morning, as we consider these things. Sorrow over the tensions that exist in our culture, a desire to see God's kingdom flourish in this nation and even in the communities that we live in and love. 
maybe even some conviction as to where our priorities and our allegiances have been out of place. So what I want to do over the next few moments is encourage you and give you the opportunity to take these things to the Lord silently in prayer, and then we'll close together as I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. So go ahead and take the next couple of minutes to lift these things up to the Lord that are on your heart right now.